0: family? Everybody good? Amen. Liam and I had the privilege this morning, the, Liam and I had the privilege this morning to go to, with the one swine, we did the church swap, so I actually preached at Levin de Word Centurion this morning, and they had to rearrange the whole service so that I could, they had one song, me preaching, and then they carrying on with their just time of worship, and uh, so that I could make it here on time, so, whew, made it. <laughs> Just also an invitation from us, we are seeing a very exciting thing developing in our community in terms of our being a community on a mission, that we've got these local outreaches that we do on Saturday mornings, we've had two now, the next one's coming up on the 25th of May where people just from our congregation here come together here, get a bit of equipping on how to hear God's voice and pray for people, and then we, they go off into, uh, the, into the area, generally into one of the shopping areas or so on, and just walk around. And hear what the Lord wants to say and how we may want to use them in different places. So uh, a a couple of weeks ago, we had a team do that. And on a Saturday morning, they went down uh, into Mainland. And one of the teams felt led by the Lord to go and have coffee, as the Lord would often say to people, you know, that's what you should do. So they went to one of the local restaurants and had coffee. And uh, as they were there, they just felt they needed to pray for the waiter. So they engaged with the waiter, had a bit of a chat, and then prayed. And then that resulted in more people coming, and eventually there was a line in the restaurant of people asking for prayer. Then the manager came and got so excited about it that he said they must please come again more regularly and come and just pray for people. So even coffee can lead to something good, you know, so praise God for that. and there was also just testimony shared by people in the team that are of the more withdrawn and shy people that found it not so easy to just engage with people. But they said it was amazing for them how the Holy Spirit helped them. And they were able to just talk with people and pray for people. And, and although the main emphasis of the morning is not to necessarily go and share the gospel in a way that perhaps make, lead somebody to Christ and get somebody to make decisions for Jesus. On that morning, four people gave their lives to the Lord in that time. So isn't that fantastic? No, 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 that won't do. In heaven, it, Scripture says in heaven there's a party thrown whenever one person. So thank you very much. So we want to invite you on the 25th uh, join us and be part of that again. If you're uh, uncertain and you've never done something like that before, come along. First time? We'll just let you watch. Even if you if you just want to watch, you can buy the coffee. So just come along and have a great time. And uh, you can email to missions at Hatfield.co.za if you want to be part of that uh, and join us in a time like that. Now this morning, our theme as part of the 120 that we're busy with. So across the city, uh, churches are sharing on the message today of God's heart for the lost, and uh, one heart for the lost, sorry, and that's what I want to talk about, being having one heart for the lost. But to do that this morning, I'm going to do something that they tell us never to do as preachers. So are you okay? you give me a little bit of leeway this morning? They say that as a preacher, when you preach on a Sunday morning to the congregation, you shouldn't speak theology. But I'm going to teach theology this morning. So are you ready? Have you, are you strapped in? Switch your mind on. Make sure your heart's open. And I'll tell you why I want to share theology. Uh, and I think why it's sometimes difficult for people. Uh, C.S. Lewis uses the illustration to talk about this. He says oh, often when we say we're going to talk theology, then people go, oh no. I don't need to know that stuff. I've had an experience with God. And that is so much better than any Doctrine or theology that you can talk. And I think that's true. Knowing God. Having an encounter with God. Experiencing. That's what we all all go, going forward. And, and that's on a Sunday morning when we come together here. We, would, we, we do everything and try and facilitate that you can have an encounter with God. So that you're not just receiving information but having an encounter with God. And that's important that we all have encounters with God all the time. It's like going to the sea. If you're standing at a particular portion of the beach, and you're standing there, and you're feeling the sand coming between your toes, and the sun shining on your face, and perhaps you're hearing the waves, and even feeling the spray of the waves, and you see the seabirds flying, and you smell, isn't that fantastic to experience that? If you then turn from that to perhaps a book that shows photos of that area, or even a map of the area, it's so dry compared to the experience. And I think that's often what it feels like for people when we, when we talk about things of doctrine and theology. We go, mm, now I'm going from this wonderful experience with the living God, and now I have to go and read about Him. And it can feel a bit dry. But it's, we need both. We need to understand both. Because if you're standing there by that portion of the ocean on that beach and you're experiencing this fantastic feeling and this environment, you are only limited to your experience. There's so much of that beach and those waves and that area that you will not know if you just know your own experience. There's there's little animals living there that you may not know that they live there. There's currents flowing that you will not know if you just go by your own experience. You see, what theology is, is it's the science of God. It's the study of God. It's over hundreds and thousands of years, hundreds and thousands of people who have together looked and experienced and encountered God and have brought all of that to bear with the Scripture and have written for us and recorded for us all of their findings and all of their understanding, and they've written, given us roadmaps to say, when you experience God, look for these things. Look out for this. If this is what you're experiencing, then perhaps that's not really what is the truth, because according to our study of who God is in the, through the Scripture. And so those, a road map like that can add so much to my experience. If you're thinking of that portion of ocean that you're standing in front of, and you decide, I want to get onto that ocean, and I want to sail from where I am to a different part of the ocean, how many of you know that if you just do that based on your personal experience, you're going to end in trouble? But if you get a map out, and, and, and others, the information and the, and the knowledge and the understanding that others can bring to you that says, listen, when you move out of this, from the beach, just watch, there's a sandbank just below. You can't see it, but it's there. So navigate this way. When, when you're out, the, the, the winds generally come from this direction. And, and, and if you're sailing out, make sure you look back because there's an amazing sight that, that if you're just so focused on what you're doing, you're not... Doesn't it add so much? And it makes it possible for us to navigate. You see, because what often happens in our days, if we just live by our own experience, we can get caught in thinking that what we are encountering is new. Because we live in a time where people are asking questions. And they're struggling with the Bible, and they're struggling with things of the gospel, and they have theological problems. And we hear some people say things, and we go, Wow. I've never heard that before. That's a new question. I wonder what the Bible says about it. I wonder how to answer that question. But if you go and tap into this roadmap that has been provided for us by our fellow brothers and sisters, you will often encounter that the question is actually not new. They've actually dealt with it before. And they've actually come up with some really good answers for it. And then you can take that and say, now how do I apply it in my context and in my day? So what I want to do today is help give you a little bit of roadmap because tomorrow you're sailing out into the sea. This is our beach. This is where we come together and we have a great time and we, and we party and we, we eat you know ice cream and we have lots of fun. That's a good idea, ice cream. I think you should have some more ice cream. I digress. Um, you know We have great time together here on Sunday, but how many of you know when you leave the beach here, you're all sailing out into the sea? And the sea that you're sailing on sometimes has big waves and winds that come against you, cultural questions that are being asked, personal struggles that you're experiencing, struggles of your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, your co-workers, all the time it's the wind blowing the sea that we are on and you and I have to navigate through all of this and not only make sure that our little boat stays afloat, but we're actually having to help others get their boats afloat and to navigate this. And so, I'm, I'm hoping that I will be able to do this morning is just in one space at least help provide a little bit of map through that which we have learned through brothers and sisters that have studied and brought their thinking and experience and knowledge and understanding to bear in the scripture. And I want to bring it to bear on this, our topic today one heart for the lost. And I want to ask the question what does that word lost mean? The lost. If you're a Christian, if you move around Christian circles, if you often come to church, it's a term we use all the time when we refer to non-Christian people. We say we talk about the lost. What does that mean? Do we have the right to call anybody lost? We live in a culture now where a term like that is often experienced by people as demeaning, as we're separating ourselves from them, as we think we're better than them. Because they lost, that means we're not. So we're better off than them, we're better than them, possibly. What does that word mean? When, what should it mean when we use it? And then I want to talk about the opposite of it. What does it mean to be not lost but to be found, to be saved Was probably the word we would use the most often. And why do we use those words? And then hopefully to apply them in our context. Now, the word lost, so there's going to be scriptures that's going to be put on the screen, and I'll refer to them, but not many of them I'm actually going to read. I'm just showing you the scripture so that you can know this is not just my opinion, but it is actually in the Bible also. Okay. Is that okay? So the word lost comes from the scripture. It actually comes from Jesus. He uses the word lost to talk about people. In uh, Luke 19.10 and Luke 5:15, verse 4, on two occasions he speaks about the lost. He says, I've come to seek and save the lost. He also talks about the sheep. You know, that story of the sheep that got lost, there's also other parables where he refers to people as lost. So this word is a biblical term. I, I, I don't think we should necessarily have a problem with the word itself, but we must just make sure that our meaning that we add to the word is really in line with what the Bible means when it refers to the word lost. And to do that, I want to define lostness. What does it mean to be lost? And to do that, are you following with me? I have to talk about sin and the doctrine of what is sin. Because when we say somebody is lost, we're referring to the fact that they have a sin problem. They have a sin problem. Now, right there, it becomes interesting. Because if I say you're lost, can you point back at me and say, but you also have a sin problem? So what makes it possible for me to say, I'm not lost, but that person is lost, but I also still have sin that I'm dealing with, but that person, so right there we start, sometimes as Christians going, well, I don't know if I can actually think of anybody as lost, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about. So what is sin, and how does sin work, and how has sin become this massive problem in the human experience? The problem. Not one of our big problems, it's become the problem that we have, is sin. So to do that, I'm going to draw a little bit for you this morning. Now, you'll have to pay attention to the screen, some of you can't see the screen here, the, hopefully the lights won't glare too much or something, but uh, just give me a little bit of leeway. So you are in hometeology uh, or soteriology 101 class at the moment, okay? So as, as I was taught. So I'm going to draw something that you'll immediately know what it is. Do you know what that is? Come on, everybody knows what that is. Hey, what is that? That's not a triangle. Who taught you about triangles and things like that, and that you're starting to see triangle. That's not a triangle. Come on, you've got to recognize that. That's Okay, you're struggling a bit. It gets me concerned. How is it possible? Okay. Hey? Okay, let me help. Let me add something. Do you now know, do you recognize? Oy, 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 we have to really go back to the basics. It's you, man. <laughs> How can you not recognize yourself? That's you. Lean, trim, mean. You know, come on. That's us. God made every human being to look like that. In His image, the Scripture says. If you don't look like that, you've got a problem. <laughs> I'm not referring to physically. woo slow down. <laughs> don't feel judged or rejected. I don't look like that. So, you know, I'm not talking about physically. God made us in His image, and that doesn't necessarily refer so much to how we physically look. It refers to three other things that I want to use this morning, and I'll call them the three R's that describes how we look how we were made in God's image. We were made to have certain things that God has, and we have them because God has them. We were made in His image. The first one is the ability to relate, relationship. We have the ability to have communion with God, relationship. God is a relational being. God wants to interact. God wants to have Great quality of relationship because, and I've spoken about this a couple of times, He has great quality of relationship within Himself. Because He's the Trinity, He is relationship. And then when He made us, He made us in His image. We are relational beings. You are actually the only part of the universe that is like God in your relational capacity. It's only humans and God that can relate on the level that we relate. We were made by God in His image. The second thing is righteousness. Or morality. The, the second thing that we shared and we got from God is the fact that we are moral beings. We can decide between right and wrong. We do not just know what right and wrong is. We can choose between right and wrong. And we got that from God. We got it because He's a righteous God. When He made us, He made us to bear His image in righteousness. And the third R is the word uh, radiance. I had to look for an R, which is to to reveal God's glory. We were made to be representatives of God, that when you look at us, you see who God is. Like when you look at the handiwork of something, it is you know about the creator, the author of it. We are not the same as God, but we are made in His image. When you see us, you see His glory. We were made to be carriers of the glory of God. So this is you. You were made with these three R's in your life, the possibility of it. Particularly Adam was made. When Adam and Eve was placed in the garden, they were unspoiled carriers of the image of God. They had these three R's in their life. They could relate with God and with one another and with themselves to the same level as God could. They had the ability to make choices and they had the ability to reveal who God is. But then you, all, you and I know what happened if you know the story of the book of Genesis. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the moment they ate of that tree, they got lost. They lost something. What they lost, first of all, is they lost those three R's. They lost relationship with God. God had to kick them out of the garden. They didn't have free access to Him anymore. They lost their their ability to choose right. Still could choose, but to choose right became so much more difficult. And thirdly, they lost the glory. They lost that reflection of who God is. Not entirely, not completely. Still today... We carry a shadow of it. There's a memory of it in our lives. We still have the potential for it. But it got twisted and broken. And that's when we mean we say we are lost. We are lost from the path. When God made Adam and Eve, He made them to walk towards Him. To want to have a relationship with Him. To want to live for Him and with Him. But when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they changed. And they said, now we're walking away from God. And they lost their way. But not only did they lose their way, they lost these things in their their lives. They no longer had it. So when we say somebody is lost, that's what we mean, first of all. They're in that condition. And therefore, we must first of all remember that we all have been in that condition. So every person that gets born from that point on has this heart, this rebellious heart this imprint of sin. And this is what we call in, in theology or in doctrine, original sin. Original sin. Every single baby that is born, every human that is conceived, has been, is now, and will be is born not in the original image of God but with this heart of sin. Born in sin, the scripture says. If you go to uh, Romans 5 verse 12, it talks to us about how sin entered through one man and how every man now carries that sin image in them. You and I sin because we are sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. Can I say that again? Because I have original sin, I have this heart of sin inside of me. It leads to sin. It's not because I sin that I end up with this heart. This heart is there. You get born with it. You don't have to teach anybody to do wrong. You don't have to teach anybody to sin or to be rebellious. It just happens. It's become part of our nature because we have this rebellious heart inside of us. You cannot help yourself. It is who we are. That's how every single person gets born. That is what we call original sin. You and I have a big S, not Superman, but sinner, right there in our hearts. I am a sinner. I'm born in sin. That's not a description of my actions, that is a description of my state, of my being. I'm a sinner. That's where we begin with sin. It, we, I don't even have to ask, what is, how does sin express itself in your life? It's got nothing to do with it. It's the recognition, I am born in the blood of Adam, I'm born with sin. That's the first part of sin. Sin has two parts to it. Because I have original sin, from that develops personal sin. Like veins that pump the the blood, arteries that pump the blood, this sinful blood from this sinful heart, it spreads through my being and through my existence. And through every human being, there's this this coursing through our veins from this heart of rebellion and sin, and and this pumps through us, sin. Sin. And personal sin is how we start expressing and giving expression to that sinful nature that is within us. We all do it a little bit differently. Now there's only so many sins, there's only so much, so it's not completely unique to each person. But perhaps the makeup, the pattern, the way it's woven together in our lives is a little different from each of us. The, the personal sins that I'm guilty of is different than your personal sin. There's certain things because of my gr- my upbringing, because of my who I am, because of my personality, because of what I've taught, been taught in life, because of many different external factors. There's certain things in my life that just doesn't tempt me as much as it tempts another person. And we all have different personal sins. Not when I say different, it's not completely worlds apart, but they expressed We all carry the fingerprint of Adam in our lives in different ways. And it gets expressed. Some of us, because of the journeys we've been on, we're a little bit further down the road, and the sin has really taken hold of us in levels that are quite strong. Some of us, perhaps, for various reasons, haven't journeyed down that path so far so the sin is not that advanced it's it's different original sin personal sin but we both ha- we all have both all have both because remember i said you have personal sin because you have original sin so when god looks at you and he says you have a sin problem He looks at this entire picture, and he says, you are born in sin, and you're expressing sin, and this is the case for all of us. So I want to ask you this question, and many of you may have been encountered with this thought, and if you haven't, then you're bound to hear it somewhere. So often I hear people say, all sin is the same. All sin is the same. Have you heard that being said? Sometimes it's being said by people that say, how dare you say that my sin is worse than your sin? All sin is the same. Sometimes it's said by Christians that go, what right do I have to speak to somebody about their sin? Because I may not have the same sin, but I also have sin and all sin is the same. And it actually disarms us. Is all sin the same? It's a trick question. Sorry, I don't want to trick you. But the trick answer to the trick question is yes and no. Yes and no. Are all cars the same? Yes and no. Because for something to be defined as a car, it has to share characteristics with other things that get defined as cars. They all have wheels. They all have engines. They all have a system that you can drive them with. They all have some kind of an exhaust system. Those are things that we define as cars. So all cars are the same, but how many of you know all cars are not the same? Because they all look different. So you've got to discern now, what am I saying when I say that? So this is, okay, are you with me still? Are you okay? Should we, shall I tell a joke? Should I do something? Just, are you okay? You're doing really well. You are fantastic. Only five of you are sleeping and I see you. Don't think I don't see you from up. Even if you're sitting in the balcony, I see you. Okay. All sin is the same if I'm talking about original sin. Because when it comes to original sin, there's no grading. We are all equally guilty. What, because we're all born with sin. I have the sin condition. How it is expressed in my life has nothing to do with it. I, if I say this, I am a sinner, it's not a statement of grading. You cannot say I'm more than a sinner than you are when it comes to We are all equally sinful. We are all equally before God. We all equally carry this mark of this heart, of this dark heart. Of sin on us it's the same there's not one single person that you can go oh, their sin is a little bit lighter than that person's sin when it comes to original sin we're all equally guilty all sin is the same when it comes to that but when it comes to personal sin all sin is not the same because sin is expressed differently in our lives at different stages and and all sin is certainly not the same when it comes to its impact and its effect it has on others Let me offer you two examples. On the one hand, I have a grandmother who's looking after four of her grandchildren. She collects government grants to make sure that she can put these children through some form of education, feed them, give them a home. She sells those big packets of corn chips, you know those corn chips, those big packets? She sells them on the street corner as she tries to Look after these children. She has personal sin. Every now and then she gets really frustrated and she loses her temper with these grandchildren that she has to look after. She may even get angry with the parents and resent them because how did they dare leave her in this situation where at her age she has got to struggle so much to to do this. She gets tired and weary and struggles and then says things that she doesn't mean. She, she also, she has sin, personal sin. On the other hand, I give you a, a, a person that is an investment consultant or banker or something. Living a really lavish life, but they're actually busy stealing the, in, the investor's money. It's not going to be too long from now where hundreds and thousands of people are going to lose all their savings because he's actually busy or she's actually busy with some scheme and stealing the money. Because of the stress that they're under, they have certain lifestyle issues. Don't get on with their family, hardly sees them. Some substance abuse, different things going on. Is sin the same. How many of you know that this grandmother's sin, the impact of it, direct impact, is far less than this person's sin? It's different. And you cannot deal and say and stand in front of those two and say, you are both equally guilty. You can't do that because their sin is not. But yet as Christians, we will say to them, you are both equally guilty. When we say that, we're not talking about personal sin, we're talking about original sin. Therefore, I can say, it doesn't matter what my personal sin is. I am a sinner. The greatest of these is me. Paul says, I'm the greatest sinner of all. You can go, really, Paul? You kept the law, Pharisee of the Pharisees. You didn't do. But you see, when it comes to me, my sin is the greatest because it's the sin I have to deal with. He says, I'm the greatest sinner of all. Because I understand where the issue comes from. It's not about the personal sin. It's about the original sin. Because it's the original sin that broke these three things. And now I'm expressing the opposite of that through my personal sin. So yes, all sin is the same. We are all equally guilty. We all equally need a Savior. But not all sin is the same because not all sin has the same impact and effect. So what's our solution for this? Because if we talk about the lost, then we also talk about the found. That means that some people are not in that condition anymore. Who are those people? What happened to those people that they can say, I'm no longer lost? Or are we Christians and people, are we all lost? We're all just struggling along on the, on the river of life, hoping that somewhere we're going to get spat out onto a beach and oh, we'll have some solid ground under us. Or can are there really people on this earth that can say, I'm found. I'm found. You see, because if there's no real people that can stand up and, on something solid and say, I'm found, then there's nobody that can help anybody else because we're all just lost and we're just hoping for the best. But that's not what Jesus said. So what does it mean that I'm found? What happened to me if I want to make a case before you today here to say, I believe I'm found, I'm saved. Based on what can I say that? So, God knows that we had a sin problem. He knew it before we even did it. He knew that this was the possibility. So, Jesus came. And for the first time, where is it? Sorry. For the first time since Adam walked in the garden and Eve walked in the garden, there came a human being that walked on this planet in the original. Ah, wrong color you didn't see that in the original state made in the image of God with the three R's Jesus 100% God 100% man he was a man and this man Jesus had no original sin because he was not born of the seed of Adam so he didn't have that heart inside of him in fact he had the original heart The heart that loved God, desired God. The heart that wanted relationship with God, that wanted to do right, and that wanted to reveal who God is. Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. We looked at him, we saw relationship. He was the first man again to walk on this earth to say, it is possible for men to do this. That man not only had no original sin, he also had no personal sin. He never did any sin. He never broke God's law. He did it perfectly. And he walked on the earth and then he died for us. And as one man brought sin into the world, one man restored righteousness. And he said there's now a new heart that has been brought. You can choose. You don't have to carry this dark heart. You can have a new heart put inside of you. And as Ezekiel prophesied in um, In Ezekiel 36 verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart from you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. He says, you can be like Jesus now. You can be born not of the seed of Adam, but of the seed of the last Adam, the seed of Christ. You are in Christ, you have the same heart as Christ has. So if I bow my knee before Jesus and say, Lord, thank you for paying for my sin and removing my sin from me and the guilt and the shame of my sin, then I get born again into this new life. Amen? Amen? Do you understand that? I think you all do. You know that. And then I look like this. In terms of original sin, I'm a brand new person. But, there's always a but. If you just got born again, How many of you know that for some strange reason, well, let's change that. For some strange reason, it's now like I've got this new heart, I'm forgiven, but I still sin. Any of you still sin after you give your heart to Jesus? If you didn't raise your hand, can I throw a scripture at you? 1 John 1 verse 8 to 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Anybody believe you're still sin? Want to raise your hands and, you know? We sin. Now, how is that possible? But I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. All things have passed away. I'm saved, but I still sin. And that is where it's really helpful to understand these two aspects, these two parts. You see, because God in His wisdom understands this, that to deal with sin, you don't start at the end of the personal sin and you try to get to the original sin. You start at the original sin and then you can get to deal with the personal sin. So he gives us a new heart and then what happens in us as by the power of the Spirit, as we submit ourselves to Christ, our discipleship journey, our following of Jesus is all about this, where this new heart of ours starts pumping new blood through our system and over time and over process and through really just an amazing work of the spirit and being part of the community of faith this starts happening and this new life starts spreading through our body and it starts changing our attitudes our actions but we've got to stay in it we meditate on the word of the lord we stay we seek his word in our lives You see, because this new heart is a fantastic thing. It's a a heart that desires God, that wants God, that wants to live God. It's a heart that so longs for these three R's. It says, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to live right, and I want to reveal God's glory. But it takes time for that change over to happen in my life. I'm a child of God because of this. Because this has changed. And I'm becoming more like Jesus every day because this is changing. I'm becoming more like I am. You see, the law of the Old Testament worked the other way around. The law of the Old Testament said we're going to start with the personal sin, and then we're going to work our way to see if we can change the heart. And through God's grace, he showed us through the Old Testament that you can tell people what right and wrong is, but you cannot make them do right and wrong. Because their hearts, they can't. It's impossible. You're just acting in in consistency with your nature because you are a sinful person. So sin's going to come out of you. So you have to replace the heart. I was taught here when I was studying theology here that God works from the inside out. The devil works from the outside in. So when I'm found, if I say I'm saved, I'm talking about this that is being expressed in this Original sin that's been dealt with, and it is now dealing with my personal sin. I'm a new creation, a brand new man. And it's based on that, that God can send me into this world and say, go and make disciples. Go and teach them my ways. Because when I'm going, when you're going tomorrow or this afternoon, when you leave our little beach here and you, and you go off into the ocean and, and you see other people out there, and, and, and you've got to deal with people, and you, every one of us has got to do this every day. It's, it's our calling, it's our, it's, it's our mandate, it's what God asks of us. Go and help find the lost. When we're out there, if I know that I've been forgiven by the blood of Christ and we're washed and my original sin is dealt with, I'm still not perfect. I'm still, I still haven't got it all together. I'm still on my journey. But that's okay. I can help others. Because what I'm not going to do is try and help them deal with their personal sin. I'm going to help them come to salvation in Christ first. Now, coming to salvation of Christ does eventually deal with your personal sin. See, this is the fantastic thing that happens when you get this new heart. This new heart desires for God and it hates sin. You and I cannot be a disciple of Christ that continues to grow if we are not learning more and more and more every day to hate our own sin. Sometimes people think, oh, I've got a new heart, I'm now saved. I can just carry on and just say, Lord, I'm so sorry I did that. And he says, okay, I have to forgive you. The blood of Christ was poured out. I have no choice. I have to forgive you. I know you're gonna do this tomorrow. Even Jesus said 70 times seven, so I'm gonna forgive you. I have no choice. Just carry on. At least you're gonna go to heaven you may smell like hell, but you'll be in heaven. <laughs> and sometimes we think it, no. Then Paul says, if you live like that, do you really have the new heart? Because if you have the new heart, it desires what I said earlier, those things. And you begin to learn to hate sin. But not first other people's sin, your own sin. You start saying, I'm so angry with myself, so disappointed, I did it Again. Thank you, Father, that I remain your child even though I sinned. Because my childhood is dependent on that, not on this. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want to have things happen in my life that breaks my relationship with you. I hate my sin. And I use that word hate because that's the word the Bible uses. And our hatred for our sins got to grow stronger and stronger. The more we love Jesus, the more we hate our sin. That's why Paul could say, I'm the greatest sinner of all. I hate my sin. And I hate sin. But when it comes to other people, something fantastic happens. As it does, it begins with me. It's only if you understand this and how God sees it that you can get it right to really love somebody while hating their sin. It's only possible in that way. And by, by loving somebody, I mean being kind, compassionate, gentle with people. Because what you and I are called to deal with first is not their personal sin, it's their original sin. What we call to help and see, say to them, you need salvation, is not talking about their personal sin first of all. Their personal sin is what makes us all aware of their original sin, but we shouldn't get stuck on their personal sin, we go for the original sin. And I can say to a person, you know, I am the same as you. I'm the same. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't change it. Nothing I did. Even when I was really disciplined and even when I worked really hard and followed good teachings and processes, I could deal with some of my sin and some of my personal sin. I could, I could get rid of it. But, you know, I couldn't get rid of most of it. And it kept on coming back because I kept on having that, dark, sinful heart. I couldn't change it. But let me tell you about somebody that can change it for you. So I'm not too perturbed in this sense about what your personal sin expression is. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the one that not only can see beyond your sin, but the one who loves you. Despite all of that, and that died you for you, that made you, that wants you to come back to the original purpose that he made for you. And then as you journey with God, he will help you. And and, and we can walk with one another and we can help each other deal with the, how the sin is expressed in our lives. But I'm not going to be so put off by your sin that I I you know I don't want anything to do with you. Because your sin is so ugly. No. You see, because I had to learn, first of all, on myself, how to love myself despite all my failings, despite how often I just mess it up. I had to learn God loves me and it's unconditional. And now that I'm learning that in my life, I can actually do that for others and put my arm around a person and say, God loves you. God loves you. And have a heart for lost people. I want to ask you, do you have a heart for lost people? Not an emotional experience merely, but a heart for lost people. You see, the more I meditate on this and I realize the grace of God in my life, the more it helps me with other people. I'm not better than anybody else. My right to share and to help others is not based on me. It's on based on what Christ has done for me and the very real effect it has in my life. It's real. It works. It's changing me. But it's not me changing me. It's Him changing me with my hard work and cooperation and discipline and everything else. But my hard work and and discipline would not have changed it. He needed to do it first. And then I'm working in Him, working out my own salvation with fear and trembling, as the Scripture says. So you have a right. Not only do you have a right, you have a calling, you have an expectation from God to seek and save the lost. And we cannot be judgmental as Christians. So often the word says, or people say, what right do you have to judge? I have no right to judge anybody. The word does judge people. I have no right to judge people. But I do have every right to say there's a there's a." there's a new heart available for you and when I say to somebody listen yeah if somebody comes and sees me if that man comes and sees me that I spoke about earlier that investment banker person and he says my life's falling apart it is necessary in discussions like that for me to say to him you recognize that this that you're doing is destroying you and your family it's destroying it's sin But then I don't say to him, you must change. I say to him, let me introduce you to the one that will change you. That's where I do not judge. And I'm going to finish. Tomorrow, you're sailing out there on this ocean. And you... Have a new heart. You have relationship with Jesus. You're growing in it, but you have relationship. You have the ability to relate to Jesus. You have a sense of right and wrong. And you don't do it in your own strength. You do it because it's what he's recreating in you. And you have a sense of that you are representing God wherever you go. Because that's what's been restored. And our world needs us to live that with Great care, but with great courage. I'm concerned how I see so many Christians just starting to push, pull back and saying, Oh, you know, I'm just gonna make sure I stay, I'm okay, and the people around me, my family. If we just know Jesus, if we can just be okay, then that's all right. All that's unfortunately we don't have that option available to us because that's not what Jesus said. This world needs to know about Jesus. And it's you and my, it's our great privilege to do it. So how's your heart for the lost? How's your heart? How's your desire for somebody? Not to correct people, to save people. Not to change people, but to introduce them to the one that can change them. Can you show others the same compassion as what was shown to you by Jesus? will you stand with me I want to pray for us because I want to be the first to put up my hand and say lord my heart for the lost is so wanting it's so shallow it's lacks so much i so often just want to withdraw and i just want to live in safe places i just want things to be right I so often want to reject and push people away. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Today, Lord, as a community, we come and we say, thank you. I'm saved. Don't you want to say, thank you, Jesus. You saved me. You saved me. I didn't even know what it means to be saved, but you saved me. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Lord, for every other person that you have come to save them too. Help me, Lord Jesus, to not withdraw, to not be afraid of their difficult questions, to not be afraid of their brokenness, their sinfulness, their ugliness, because, Lord, I see it in myself. It may look different than theirs, but You weren't afraid of mine. You saved me. Help me, Lord Jesus. Stir our hearts for people. Stir our hearts, Lord. Give us such compassion. We pray this morning. Forgive us where we just see their sin and we don't have the ability to look past and to see what you see, to see their hearts that need salvation. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm lingering with this a little bit this morning because we need to recognize it's not an option for us. If every one of us is not having a heart for lost people and growing in our ability to be used by God forgive me for saying this but we're failing to follow Jesus the full distance he's moving on and we've stopped at some point i'm not saying you're not a christian i'm not saying you don't love jesus but he's he's going further he's come to seek and save those that are lost Come, Holy Spirit. I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you recognize that you're still a sinner, you've tried to change. You've tried to be different. You've tried to be a better person. But today you can recognize that you cannot change your heart. You cannot change your condition. Only Jesus can do that for you. We want to help you. We want to give you an opportunity to pray with somebody and to begin just that process where you can come and say, I am found, I've been saved, and that you can know it with every part of your being. So I want to give opportunity, our pastors are going to be here in the front, and our leaders, if today is the day that you say, I want to be found, that you will just come to the front right now. Every one of us in this room that says we are saved did this at one point. It may not have been in a big building like this, but somewhere along the line, we had to say, I want to be found. I want to give up and surrender to Jesus. I want to stop fighting against him, and I want him to fight for me. I don't want him to fight with me. I allow him. So just come. We're going to sing a song as we end the service, but I ask the saints, give people an opportunity. Don't, by your rushing out, keep somebody else from coming in. Just come. Lord, we pray for just an amazing sense of your grace and of your kindness. You may even be a person here today that have At a stage, call yourself a saved person. But you've gotten lost along the way again. And you're not walking towards Jesus at the moment. You're actually walking away from Him. This is a great opportunity to turn around. To come back to Jesus. Just come. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Come and walk in the freedom of this great God of ours. This is not about joining a church. This is not about being part of us. Although that'll be fantastic. We'd love to journey with people and walk with you. But this is about you and Jesus. If you need prayer in any other way this morning, please come and we'll pray with you. So glad to do that. There's baptism happening on my right hand side where people are saying, I want publicly to profess that others know that I have taken on Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. That He is living in me. I pray for you that as you go into this week, that not only will you stand strong in your faith, but that you will be able to share your faith with others. You don't have to answer all the questions. You don't have to understand everything. But you can be confident in this, that Jesus has saved you. And you can share that with anybody that comes across your path. The Lord bless you. Have a fantastic week. Next week we've got Dwayne with us, so please don't miss that. And we'll see you. Have a great week.